So, thank you for watching. Please, if you're not really in a hurry, stay for uh, our short discussion because we are running uh, a little bit behind schedule. Uh, they'll maybe put up some chairs while we're talking, but we'll start anyway. Professor Barber, I'd like to start directly uh, with the theoretical frame of jihad versus McWill, because, of course, uh, reality is more complex than a theoretical frame. And what did we see here? First, I thought maybe this is jihad versus jihad, or maybe for the Ukrainians, the, the Hasidim coming in are part of a kind of Mac world. How, how would you put that? <laughs> well, we want to be careful not to try to push things into categories, do we? Because we saw a very interesting film in which we saw, as I said earlier, two narratives about one place. And those narratives were in collision. Partly they were religious narratives, a Jewish narrative and a Christian narrative, which, however, are cousins. So those two narratives intersect uh, in many ways. But we also saw a Ukrainian nationalist narrative, which of course is very different in that narrative. The Ukraine is established in this narrative by heroes who killed Jews and Poles who are there before them. So there you have a collision of nationalist narratives. You have a collision of nationalist narratives. And uh, the modern world reflects this so much, doesn't it? Because what's interesting is this was all filmed just before the beginning of the Ukrainian uh, revolution that has led now to the eastern Ukraine coming under Russia and the western Ukraine being part of Europe. And there's another set of narratives about the Russian narrative as occupiers, the eastern and western Ukrainian narratives that are also at war with one another. But I think you're right to say that all of this is about a collision of nationalist and religious narratives. And it's hard to see McWorld uh, in this picture. It's hard to see modernity. Both of these look to the modern, to a secular urban modern. Both of these look like old narratives from a different world. And I don't know about how you all feel, but for me, uh, looking at them, I, I see a very different and ancient world. I see very little of what we will see uh, tonight when we see a film about Steve Jobs and Apple yeah. and computers, although there is some of that technology already there. Yeah, well, and, and not only the technology, maybe an element of Mac world, especially for, for the Ukrainians, for the Ukrainian nationalist, is, although it's also a very old-fashioned anti-Semite uh, way of thinking, of course, is the fact that the Hasidim are buying up uh, their whole town. What no, do you that think is, that? And, the, and the narrative in the old days, as the, as the Cossacks told the story, that's what happened in the old days. The Jews came and bought things and bought people, and therefore they had to be killed and, and pushed out again. So and you turned see them into drunks. You, <laughs> yeah. you see a repetition uh, of that history. But what struck me, I don't know how it struck you, what struck me is that a lot of the ordinary people, some of what you might have thought would be the passion and the intensity of hatred wasn't there. There was a lot of convivialness and a lot of ease between the Hasidim who were visiting and, and the, local, the local population. And the law, as they put it, the law was a little bit equal-handed because you can't remove the cross, but you can't build a statue uh, to Gonta without the proper papers and so forth. So there was this even-handedness of the law standing above the nationalities, a law which was about to be destroyed in the 
Ukrainian Revolution and the uh, Russia taking Eastern Ukraine back and so on. Yeah. As, as for the narratives, I, I found it striking the scene in the, in the classroom. First, first you had the Hasidic kids who were being taught, and and there the story was hammered in. And then you had the Ukrainian classroom, and there the story was hammered in. So it seems like that 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 both uh, both the danger and probably also part of the solution or the hopefulness lies in education. Well, and we'll see later today uh, in Among the Believers about the Red Mosque in Pakistan, we see a madrasis, which is a Muslim school. And that's a Muslim school that both teaches and educates young people, but also educates them against the infidel, against Christians and so on. So education, we see education as a solution, but of course it depends on whose education, which stories are being told. But again, what was so interesting, the ordinary people, there was one, uh, Ukrainian who was talking in, a f in fairly anti-Semitic tones and so on, but at the end he said, but in war, nobody is right. In war, nobody is right. And that was to me a very powerful moment because he was an ordinary person and he was reciting the history he had been told and kind of approving of it, but then suddenly, but in war, nobody's right. There are always these sides. And as I say, the ordinary people and, and the gravekeeper and his wife were, you know, interesting people. They were locals. Kind of, kind of middlemen in between of the two narratives. In seeing that. I wonder if we want to ask some people here whether you have some questions and Absolutely, comments to make. Because yes. you've sat for many hours to watch us and to watch the film and we'd love to hear your uh, responses and comments uh, or questions uh, to one another or to us. Uh, how did you feel about the, how did, how, How'd you, how'd you like the film, not like it? How did you respond to the film? <laughs> say something, ma'am. Thank you for your applause. What, was, what would you say? And I saw lots of Orthodox Jews, and I didn't know, I, I wasn't sure where I was going, and I asked one for my address. Yes. And he said in English, I don't know. He's, he said, I really don't know. Like. <laughs> I'm not faking, I'm, I'm true to you. When I found my address, the man told me about the people there and that they were going to Ukraine. I had never ever heard of the place. So today is a lot of information and... Because what exactly did it make you understand more? The, the specific place, Oman. Mm -hmm that it happens there. I've been to places in Yemen where the same thing happens, but I've never, never heard of a place in Ukraine. It's sort of, how, how Ukraine, why Ukraine? But maybe you've heard of the book, The Spanish Doctor, that was long before. And of course, of course they were there. There's, there's another Thank question. question. Thank you, there's another question over there. There's a microphone coming, yeah, I think, for you, that, so we can all hear you. Thank you. I thought it was a very impressive movie, wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, but about the solution, you already said maybe, well, education. But do you think about other ways to to make the gap the, the gap closer? 
I well, mean, you know, it, what was interesting, and this is always true, there were people both in the Hasidic community and in the Ukrainian community who reached out, who wanted to understand, who wanted to speak to one another. There were moments at which the Hasids, who are a very orthodox brand of Jews, who said, maybe even Goys have souls. <laughs> which was a, you know, you might say that was a kind of reaching out in one way very arrogant, but on the other hand, you know, we, we often, our enemies, we often take their souls away. We take their humanity away. One of the nice compliments to human beings is we can only kill other people when we take their souls away, when we say they're not people. You know, we talk about animals. We say he's an animal, he's a beast, and then, then we can kill them. And, and the slurs we used in the Vietnam War, Americans talked about the gooks and the slants. They talked about Vietnamese as animals, which allows us to kill one another. It's very hard to kill another human being. So you have to think of them as something less than human, as soulless. So the people in the film who thought about the souls of others and could reach out to one another, that's the solution. But the problem is imagine there was a little, there were moments of anger. Imagine if there had been violence between one or another, how quickly the two communities would have drawn apart. You know, and it was interesting that the law was kind of keeping violence from breaking out, but violence would have very quickly made each side feel the other didn't have a soul and that each side was justified. So I, I, it, it's very, very hard and we live in times where extremists can take the middle out and make each side feel that the other has no soul. I am sure the young men who blew themselves up and murdered people in Paris thought in a way that the young men and women in the concert hall had no souls. You know, they weren't worth saving, that they were, that they, that they were debauched and so on, just as we think, and Francois Hollande said, they're animals, they need to be wiped out. Uh, and that, that finding, staying in the middle when people who hate each other are there is very, very tough. Anybody else in the audience? Yes, here in the front. Uh, I thought it was a very interesting uh, film, thank you. Um, I, I was wondering if the friction between the Russians and the Ukrainians also made the friction between these two groups uh, uh, a bit more severe, because I can imagine that the Ukrainians got a bit more nationalistic because of that uh, battle earlier this year. And the Hasidim might even think that Putin, as yes. they expected, came to their rescue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. no, Mr. I think Barber? Yes, I think that's a very good, good, good point that you make because very often people who are in conflict with others then see a third party as friend or enemy and that can actually make things worse or in some cases uh, can make things better. The Russian situation, as we know, in the Ukraine is all by itself. I mean, the Ukraine is one of those areas, Eastern Europe is an area that between Germany and Poland and the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the Russian Empire and the Ottoman Empire has always been torn to pieces. Poland itself you know, has been torn between East and West, between Russia and Germany. So in those areas, the large powers to the East and West play a very large role. And what's interesting about Gonka, this, this uh, hero, hero from the 18th century who liberated Ukraine, is he didn't just liberate it from, uh, from Jews, he liberated it from Poles as well, even though Poles and Jews, you might say, have lived with considerable unease in recent, uh, in recent decades as well. So I think you're right to say that it 
as it gets even more complicated when a large power from the outside is present to stir up the passions of groups that are not easy with one another. So that's a good point. In the back, yeah. Please wait for the mic, it's a bit hard to understand. I thought it was interesting that in the movie you could see that some of the Hasidim were like, uh, like reaching out, like you say, with the guitar. And the other, some of them were a little bit arrogant, kind of more like into their own scene. And um, I think it's very beautiful the way you mentioned that uh, to, to, to go in this middle way. And for, I for all of us, it's very comfortable to be in our own group and kind of be like, yeah, we're the cool guys. And it's so much more difficult to take that step and to see the relative coolness of somebody else. So I, I really appreciate the point that you are making. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. And you know, I, I was thinking to the Hasidim in the Ukraine probably are responded to in some ways that Muslims in Paris are, even the Muslims born in Paris who are French nationals. But for some Parisians, for some French, they somehow seem outsiders. They seem arrogant. They have their own faith. They do things their own way. And you know the way that e even a secular Jew will look at the Hasidim and say, that's, that's really weird. That's really different than the way that normal Jews would, would respond. And in, in Paris, Muslims living their lives and having their markets and doing things their way in their music can appear as foreign and difficult. But the problem we face in the modern world is that we do live in a world without borders. We live in a world that is multicultural whether we like it or not. And we can say it's a good thing or a bad thing. You can like diversity or not, but it's a fact. And there's no going back. And the politicians who think they can somehow separate us again, create a Paris without Muslims, create a Ukraine without Jews, create a New York without Mexican and Latinos, that's not happening. So our reality is we have to learn to live with these different groups who, as you say, maybe we feel a little uncomfortable, we'd rather say rah-rah with our own people like us, whether it's Christians or whites or Jews or Muslims or people of color or Mexicanos or Latinos. The world we live in is going to be a world in which we have to find a way to live together or we will die together, but there's not much choice. If, if I may pick up on that and to, to conclude, I'm afraid. Uh, well, one, one more question in the audience, if we can take this time. <laughs> um, I have uh, a question also about these Nachman uh, Jews. I think it's a pretty um, special part of the Hasidic movement in Judaism. You're, you can also see it when you go to Israel. The walls are full of graffiti of these Nachmans. And what they are trying to do is to spread love through music and whatever, and they sing a lot and they dance. But it seems the, the tolerance and the, the wishing of good seems to kind of stop with goyim, with people that are not Jewish. So how do these Jews, uh, how are these Jews handling this diversity that is not, to, is not going away between Jews and non-Jews, what do they wish for them to come? Because they're not, they don't want them to become Jews. 
You feel because entitled to answer that, uh, Mr. Barber? Yeah, I, I, I won't try to answer that, but I think it's a very good question. I mean, I, I don't have the answer. I would just say one thing I appreciate that you pointed out, which is true, is that this community wants to use music to reach out and sees dancing and music as a key. Sufi Muslims are very much the same. They see music and dance as also a way. And I, just as someone who is also involved in the artistic community, and my wife is a choreographer and a dancer and an artist, I think when religion brings dance and music to its heart, we have a much better chance of reconciliation and living together than when it doesn't. So it may be that the common thread of music and art is a beautiful way for religions to try to understand and adopt to a world because in a world of distinct religions and distinct races and distinct nationalities, there is something deeply common about music and about dance. It's something we all share and maybe that's a bridge we can use uh, to one another. Because to conclude, um, th there is of course the danger, one of my reactions when seeing the film was imagine no religion, but we should beware of that kind of secular, secular hubris, shouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, I love John Lennon's song and we all do, you know, the peace song, but, and no religion too is, it, 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 to me it strikes out twice, it strikes out once because we will not live in a world with no religion, and there will be religion, so we have to find peace with, not without religion. And secondly, it, in attacking, in a sense, eliminating, annihilating religion, it annihilates all that religion can bring us, love and music and union and ecumenical feeling, as well as the hostility and rage and sectarianism and confessionalism that puts Protestants against Catholics and Muslims uh, against Jews and Christians. So we don't wanna say, it's true religion cause a great deal of strife in the world, but religion also can bring a great comfort to the world. The current Pope, for example, Francis seems to me to represent a Catholic who, whose ecumenical instinct, whose outreaching has been very, very important. So I think that's a nice way to conclude saying that, you know, John Lennon brings us a kind of secular hope from music, but it has to ultimately be a hope that includes religion, not that rejects it. Thank you very much and thank you. We have to wrap it up because the next show starts at one. Thank you very much.